Back to Business is a podcast for livestock producers who are getting back to business after bushfire, flood and drought. From pastures and nutrition to the purchase of livestock, tune in each week for expert information to help rebuild resilient livestock businesses. My name is Megan Rogers and I'm the manager of Sheep Connect New South Wales, Australian Wool Innovations Extension Network in New South Wales. This series of webinars that have been scheduled for livestock producers offer practical tips to help you rebuild on the back of recent bushfires, droughts, floods and storms. The webinars are jointly hosted by Meat and Livestock Australia, Australian Wool Innovation, AWI Sheep Connect New South Wales, Integrity Systems Company, New South Wales Farmers, New South Wales DPI and LLS. And they form, a, they form part of a broader response package that these organisations are providing to support livestock producers during these current challenging times. I'll now introduce today's presenter, Ted O'Kane. Uh, Ted is a rural resilience worker uh, based at Goulburn and as in his role, he covers South and Southeast New South Wales. Many of you may already know Ted throughout his um, career as a farmer from the Adelong area. He's also been a rural journalist with The Land. And whilst I've not necessarily met Ted in person, I feel like I've known him for years because I used to hear him all the time doing the market reports uh, for MLA. So his voice is very familiar to me and I feel like we're old friends. So um, Ted's ready to, um, to cover off on his topic today, which is basically what support's available and how to access it. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Megan, and thanks for joining everybody who's there. Um, yeah, look, I, I guess to, just to start with, I want to acknowledge that we have tended to um, see the the drought situation and, and the fire recovery process somewhat knocked off the radar by COVID-19. That's left people feeling just a little bit neglected in the bush. Um, and priorities have changed and, and they must, I guess, given given the seriousness of the of the virus. But some more support mechanisms are still in place for farmers. And in fact, in some cases, we are increasing them. So I guess that's a little bit reassuring. Uh, an example of that is the rural recovery service officers that are being currently uh, employed for Southern New South Wales. And I'll talk a little bit more on that later. So today we'll talk about um, drought and fire and, and to a lesser extent, some of the other assistance measures and some of them do cross over. So uh, bear with us, we'll try and clarify it as best we can because it is a pretty complex area. Yeah, you know, even though there's there's value in following it, I, I know myself as a rural resilience officer, it's my job to try and keep track of all this. And it, it's a pretty rapidly changing landscape has been over the period of the drought and more recently with the fires. So um, it is hard to keep track. Before I go on to it, I just want to give a little bit of background to what the Rural Resilience Program is. We, uh, we've just sort of roughly been around for about 15 years in different guises, initially as a drought support program after the millennium drought. Uh, more recently, we, we've become a resilience team and that really reflects our, our focus on trying to build people's preparedness for what seem to be repetitive challenges in, in agriculture. And uh, clearly a lot of that work is around recovery and, and assistance in times of drought and so on. And, and certainly in the last couple of years, we've spent a lot of time in the support 
area, not quite so much in, in building uh, preparedness. But in any event, I guess in a simple way, we're, we're more or less a, an information hub or a conduit for primary producers to navigate through that rather complex system of, of support and assistance and try and steer them in the right direction effectively. So don't hesitate to get in touch with the, the Rural Resilience Officer who's in your region. Um, certainly that's what we're there to do to try and help you through the system. So um, we, we might move on to what, what do we mean by support and assistance in a, in a general sense. And there's a couple of just general themes I want to touch on there because while I guess most of the people who are listening today are interested in accessing what supports there and many of you would have already done so, there's a, there's a portion of people who I've met and certainly in more recent times in relation to the fire recovery efforts we've been doing who for whatever reason find uh, accessing support not only just a bit difficult from a practical point of view but personally they don't feel as inclined to do it and some of the things I've mentioned there on the on your screen is just uh, reflect what people have said to me or indicated to me why their barriers to seeking some support. I guess the point I want to make is that whether it's a drought related or fire or flood or any other natural disaster package of assistance measures they're all valid and those, those assistance measures are there to keep people in business and to avoid the unnecessary personal and community damage that can result as a, as a real resilience program and the DPI in general we want to keep industries as healthy as possible and, and a lot of that starts with the personal and the community level factors that, that sometimes don't always uh, you know don't always keep people in the best space so when I say, uh, you know, pride and guilt, and, you know, I meant survivor guilt there because a lot of people say, oh no, I'm not so badly off, leave the assistance for someone else. And, and other times they just sort of, that old Australian way, you know, I'll be right, I'll get through, don't worry about me. All of those things, while they have some, you know, they're, they're real things that people feel, they're not to my way of thinking valid. Um, have reasons to not access the grants that are available and I, I guess I'd, I'd put it to someone I use their um, fear of the office and paperwork I know that I had that same phobia when I was and I still do I guess none of us really want to go in and sit down and go through paperwork or online application forms but you know where else in the world can you go and get uh, you know a $75,000 grant if you're fire affected or a $50,000 interest-free loan um, with the investment of a few hours in the office. Uh, that mightn't convince a lot of people, but I think it's a pretty compelling, compelling argument. And I guess the, the final thing that I've put there around just general assistance, don't assume any of those things are, uh, uh, as I've put above. Don't assume that you're not eligible. Don't self-assess, just put the application in and see how you go. We've certainly seen, you know, I guess, some mixed responses from people and not everybody is successful but I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very clear on that don't make up your mind before you put your application in it's worth it's certainly worth the effort i guess this is the hardest bit first i know what farmers are like and what farming blokes particularly are like and, and we've struggled in our in our program for, for some time to try and get people a little more engaged in the idea of looking after themselves it's so when I say personal support, what's that? It really is just simply around our physical and our mental health and our capacity, our capacity to keep operating in pretty tough times. 
I think it's probably one of the most important, but also one of the most neglected areas, particularly after a natural disaster or, or through drought time. And certainly our our team sees that on a regular basis where we will do finally cross over that line. And it's frustrating when you know that there are things that people can do, the services that people can access. Um, it's more an attitudinal thing. And while uh, we are getting better at accepting the need for self-care, um, it's still got a long way to go in my mind. I think we still carry a lot of the, the burdens of our forefathers and the, the cultural stoicism that seems to stop us accessing things. So a couple of points I want to make is that if you've been through a natural disaster like a fire or a flood or you've been through years of drought, which many of you have, there is some physical and psychological damage. You can't avoid that whether it's just exhaustion or an injury, and certainly stress, chronic and, and sudden stress are, are huge issues. So I guess I'd just say, if nothing else, you know, consult your GP, take a bit of time out, take a rest. Because my attitude to this is that if you're not operating properly, then not much else is gonna operate well in your business. And the most important, uh, resources on your farm are the human resources, yourself, your family and your workers. So don't neglect them because, you know, whatever else is offered, whatever else you think is ahead of you, it probably won't work as well if your headspace is not good. So the difficult one is this, I guess, well-being and psychological self-care. But as I said, it's really a form of stress and trauma. It's very normal. The sort of things we feel after going through the fire and the, the, the extended period of drought are really different forms of stress and trauma. And, and look, these things don't fix themselves. We're not machines. We need some help from time to time. And it's important to note that whether it's acute or chronic stress, stress is one of the biggest impacts on our physical and mental well-being. It affects every system in our body. And importantly, in this context, it does have a... Um, a direct effect on our emotions and our brain function. We simply don't function as rationally and, and our judgment's not as good when we're under stress. So there needs to be some mechanisms to, to, to correct that because the path is not good. And, and as I say, we see it far too often where people stubbornly persist on a path that's not in their best interest or their families or their business. Um, I guess the point I'd make is, that, and I think I may have just made it then, but I've underlined it again. The sort of things that people feel are very normal reactions to an abnormal event. There's no need to feel shame or, or, or you know, somehow that you're weaker or lesser because you don't feel so great. I mean, some of my friends from Adelong, as, as Megan said, I came from Adelong, was in the very um, seriously affected by the Duns Road fire. And I've been talking to them regularly and seeing them, and I know that. Uh, you know, they are affected and, and I'm affected in some respects just by going back and seeing my old farm and seeing the, the district that I lived in. These things are not easily dismissed and they can take a long time to get over. The message I would say is that um, how long it takes you to get over them is really depends on how much effort and energy and, and attention you, you put on them. And it's very easy to put your own self-care aside I would suggest that's not a very good option if you want to uh, recover as best you can. Certainly, if you're wondering and you're a bloke, ask 
ask your, ask your wife or your kids how well you're going, and that'll be a pretty good litmus test, I would suggest. Now, it's a pretty complex area, the area of wellbeing and mental health support services, and I don't want to go into great detail today because it is quite confusing. And they are, you know, there's, there's various mechanisms delivered by, you know, different levels of government and not-for-profit organisations and charities. So it can be a pretty difficult thing to navigate, um, but that's not an excuse for ignoring problems for yourself or others. So I guess if in doubt, you start with your GP. But as I said, it's complex. There's lots of people. There's lots of different levels of service. You could certainly talk to us in the Rural Resilience Program. We can direct you. But the one contact that I want to draw your attention to, and some of you will be very well aware of the Rural Adversity Mental Health Program, formed about the same time as our uh, drought support program in the mid-2000s, effectively to start to address issues of mental health and wellbeing in the context of drought and <clears throat> extended stress. So um, if you need some help and navigation through the mental health system, the wellbeing system, um, the, that's, that's the, uh, uh, the website there that I'd recommend you go and see. I'll just mention a couple of emergency numbers there because the thing about the issue we're talking about is that it often creeps up on people, uh, creeps up on, 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 on people who are very close to someone who's suffering. And we never know when we're gonna come across someone who is in a very critical situation after what we've been through. So while uh, uh, the RAMP organisation and others can help you direct through services when, when you need it. If you get right to the end of the line, um, you need to know where to go and Lifeline and Beyond Blue and if all else fails, just ring triple zero if you're worried about yourself or your family member or, or a friend. It, it sounds a bit dramatic, but it, it has happening and it is happening and people need to at least have those numbers in their phone. So. Um, I guess the point about it I just want to sort of emphasise is that, as I said before, normal enough reactions to abnormal events, and most people with some effort and a bit of support will move on through this. It may take a long time, but um, most people recover pretty well because you know we are in the end survivors in this situation. But there will be some people who need a bit more help, and sometimes people get. They think, oh, that won't be me because they have this vision that it's going to be uh, someone in a white coat and they were sitting out and they'll be, you know, psychologically analysed. My experience in all this is that what people really need is just some good information, really clear information about the phases that you're going through, the normal enough reactions. If you can identify things, they make more sense. And and a lot of the, the counsellors, for want of a better word, the people you might the mentors will just help you understand the normal enough responses that you're going through and that's often enough for people to, to feel better. And I had a farmer just a few weeks ago just say to me, look, I wasn't going well, but I made the call and amazingly I felt a lot better without even speaking to someone and that's a common enough response. So clearly, um, you know, don't be afraid to seek help, I guess, is the message. Um, where am I up to? I guess the one thing I want to just mention a couple of things you can do. You can access these services officially, but there's things that people can do for themselves. And one of the first and simplest things is just get some good sleep. Um, it's one of the most underrated factors that that uh, affect our well-being and our ability to function. We just don't 
make very good decisions when we haven't had enough sleep. And certainly you can't always have uh, control over that. If you've been fighting fires for two or three weeks in a row, you don't get much sleep, I know that, but you need to catch up and try and reboot if you can. The other thing is simply take a break from everything that's around you. Go away for a weekend. And I know quite a few people have done that and they feel a lot better because of it. And I know uh, current restrictions make that a bit difficult, but even if you go and have a camp and, heaven forbid, I was going to say light a fire, I guess some people are still <laughs> maybe struggling with that notion at the moment if they've been through what, what I know they've been through. But, you know, go and have a little camp down by the creek or do something a bit different and keep doing the things you normally enjoy. Keep your hobbies up. Try and do some exercise, do whatever else it is that, that gives you a bit of a kick. And finally, the thing that is research shows is possibly the most important for thing is for people to stay connected to their community, keep socially active. And again, uh, COVID-19 makes this a bit difficult at the moment, but you can still talk to people on the phone. You can still have a laugh. You might be able to see your neighbour over the fence. Don't underestimate how important these things are. and on that note of social connectedness, one thing that we, we can offer, and I'll mention a couple of funds that are available very specifically for people to access social events. We have, uh, through our Rural Resilience Program, a, a fund, a drought resilience fund, we've called it, and we've certainly extended it to fire-affected communities. Just money to, to get people together. Now, I know that that's a bit hard at the moment, but we will eventually get through COVID-19 and people can make applications to do that uh, after um, you know, restrictions are lifted later in the year, in the summer, whenever. But I, they're really important that people keep, uh, keep social events on the calendar. And, and, and if they plan for them and seek the money, which they can do through me or another uh, rural resilience officer, I think that's uh, one of the best things they can do. There's a few other similar, um, I think MLA themselves has a community support grant for people to do similar things if they're fire affected. Certainly some primary health networks have some community based funding for educational and social activities as well. So again, while I'm not going to go into a heap of detail today, these things can be found and uh, through through RAMP or um, through the Rural Resilience Program, we can put you onto those sources. So I guess what is now that I've had my little uh, little rant about wellbeing, we can probably move on to uh, some of the financial assistance measures. And as, as, as the slide says there, Go on, Megan. Oh, I was just gonna, I was just going to say I think that um, most of you might have um, said that you felt it was a bit, a bit of a rant. I think it's a really important part of of you know being able to look after both you know the human well-being as well as the um, well-being of our business. And so I think that they're both they're interconnected in such a way that I think it's a really important facet of looking for assistance for, for our business because they're you know we, we need uh, well-functioning humans heading up those businesses. Yeah, no doubt we do. Um, yeah, we, we our head rules just about everything else that we do, and it's about making decent decisions and good judgments. And as I said, if you're not feeling well, that that's pretty hard to achieve. But in any event, uh, financial assistance—it's another fairly complex area at the moment, as you would have gathered if you've been applying or watching what's happening. Government responses has varied, and there is a lot of stuff out there at the moment, not just through government, but other other sources. 
So I guess today, because it's very complex, I'm going to mention just a couple of really key ones and we'll have some key websites that'll help you navigate the system and a few key contacts for you. Um, we've got both drought and fire related measures to talk about. So I'll try and keep them as distinct as possible today because they do cross over a bit. And the next couple of maps that Megan might throw up just show you why. This is the drought map off the um, New South Wales DPI drought hub page as of yesterday, showing the different categories of, uh, of, of drought. Now, I think I added up the figures that it's something like 92.5% of the state is still in what we would call either drought affected or drought or intense drought, which means that they're still eligible for all the drought measures that are uh, have been available and continue to be available. So um, there's a website that uh, will come out to where you can access that. It's got a lot more information. Megan's just uh, screenshotted the the, the opening page there, and you can see it's got a lot of extra stuff around um, drought-related animal welfare, water resources, and, and management drought, management of drought, and there's documents and things, a mile of stuff you can download through there. So uh, it's a really good starting point, just to go have a bit of a play on the internet and see what, where it takes you. We'll link you to a lot of other services. Um, there is a page that you can go to is, is a simple little template of all the stuff that is available through the Rural Assistance Authority for both um, drought, fire and, and uh, um, storm issues and other natural disasters. So it'll come out with the handouts. But I guess I want to just touch on the main ones today because as I said, there's a lot of stuff in there that, that gets a bit complex. And, and I guess the caveat I should have said right at the start of this is that I'm, I'm more a generalist providing information. I don't deal with the Rural Assistance Authority measures directly from day to day. There are people a little bit more conversant than I am, but certainly in a general sense, we keep across what's available and, and try and uh, steer people in the right direction. Um, drought assistance in brief, I guess. The main points, there's a drought assistance fund worth $50,000. Um, interest-free over seven years, two-year non-repayment fee. It's a, it's a pretty generous uh, money for a range of things. And it, and it covers transport of stock, fodder and or water, uh, fodder and water infrastructure, banking of genetic material. And, and the last one is pretty open-ended to be fair, activities that promote profitability and resilience as a result of the on-farm investment. It's a pretty good short-term capital injection. I think it's a, it's a good one. The next one I've mentioned there is just the, uh, the drought transport subsidy, which many of you will be familiar with, um, having accessed over the last couple of years. That is still operating. At the moment, it says uh, applications closed June 30. So I just remind you that a lot of these at the moment on the website say closing June 30, not necessarily to mean they won't be extended, but at the moment you need to access them by that time. Um, there's a $50,000 maximum on that. And, and, and just as a point on that drought transport subsidy, which obviously is around fodder and stock and, and so on, uh, freight rebate, it also applies to 
stock and adjustment or sale uh, if they're for the freight component of that up to the 50% limit. So most of you are aware of that, so I won't go on. Um, fire and, and disaster are the new things that have come out in the last six or eight months, of course. So just, um, yeah, just that previous slide that Megan threw up there, it just goes to show you it's a relatively simple process to follow through. Choose the right grant for your needs there. That's, uh, that gives you a really good synopsis of what's available in whether it's drought, fire or natural disaster type initiatives at the moment. So the next one is bushfire assistance. Um, again, the main ones are the $75,000 special disaster grant. If you've been in a fire affected area and you're eligible, I'm guessing you've already been through that process. Um, again, I would just say don't self-assess. It's a, it's a pretty generous, um, grant in, in a way, although for some people it's not going to cover all their needs, I'm aware of that, but it's uh, it's it's certainly a, uh, you know, very useful quick injection of funds. And while there's been some people sort of wondering whether they're, they're eligible and, and there's been a bit of conjecture about that, I'd just say try and apply and, and see how you go. Don't self-assess, have a, have a crack at it. Um, I'm just going through a few papers here because I want to keep on track as best I can, Megan. Um, special disaster loans, again, that's got $50 there. That's actually $50,000. Um, and that's a five-year loan. Uh, first two years are interest-free. And uh, the interest rate on that is 0.82% at the moment, but it's got a yearly review. So again, uh, it's really just a capital injection loan. Um, the $500,000 loan is over 10 years uh, and you know, probably obviously slightly longer, a longer term recovery loan that one, but again at 0.82% is pretty generous uh, interest rates, so even though they are reviewed each year, that, that environment on the interest rate front looks like it's going to stay fairly steady, but not for me to predict that. Um, there are other uh, assistance measures for the, the storm affected people in northern New South Wales and there are general disaster uh, loans available as well if, if areas are declared after a disaster or storm or, or a flood and so on. I won't go into great detail on those now because the previous slide that Megan had showed where if you, you go into the rural assistance um, page and follow it through, you will um, you'll find all those listed and they're pretty simple and they give the basic information and you get a really good overview of, uh, of, what, of what's available. So the other thing I just want to mention around, um, oh, just go back. The last thing there, no, you've got rural recovery service officers in a, in a couple of places, that's okay. I'll just mention, Megan, that I, I did say at the start of it that while um, you know, COVID-19 has taken over. There are some things that are still happening. Obviously, the, the, the virus restricts people's activities a bit at the moment, but the Rural Recovery Service is worth mentioning for fire-affected producers because this, uh, this program started in around uh, November in northern New South Wales, uh, effectively to provide through the Office of Emergency 
Emergency Services and administered it through our Rural Resilience Program. A number of people who will be on ground in communities able to have a more personal approach to, to taking people through assistance measures and, and other issues, whether they be legal or issue with councils or, or simply accessing mental health services or, or again, uh, much closer to the ground uh, form of what we've been doing over a longer period of time as rural resilience officers, these uh, rural recovery service officers will be in their communities and available for people to call as a first port of call to get connected. And it's a it's a model that worked really well after the Sir Ivan fire up around uh, Dunedoo and Cooler in, in 2017, I think, and that's what we've replicated. And as you can see on that map, as the fire spread down, um, we had to replicate it a couple of times. And we're currently recruiting for people in southern New South Wales on the coast, uh, up around the, the southern highlands and down in that southern uh, slopes and tablelands region that were affected. So um, I think that's a good thing. Unfortunately, timing's not great because they will be a little more restricted by uh, how, how uh, much access they can have to people, but we're all dealing with that challenge as we can see here today, where we're online and looking at computers, which is probably the world for the next few months at least. But anyway, that's we can't do much about that, but those people are around and they're at the end of the phone. So in due course, those positions will be filled. Um, enough on that. The next and, and probably one of the last things just around websites and where you can go. Um, just, I'm not sure what you've got on your next screen there, Megan. Um, yeah, maybe just go to the next one, Service New South Wales. I wanted to draw attention to, to what they offer because <clears throat> some of the previous uh, assistance measures I mentioned there, the grants, the fire related grants and loans are also available to small businesses. Now, some, most of you today are probably primary producers, but some of you may be small uh, small business operators and the, the $50,000 and the 500,000, and I think there's a $50,000 grant, which is available to small business operators. Um, the way to access those is through Service New South Wales. Now, Service New South Wales obviously runs all, all sorts of government services, not just in relation to uh, these grants. So there's a lot of other stuff to be accessed through that site that are cost saving measures. They're basically called cost of living measures. There's a whole host of rebates. They say there's something around 70 that as a household people can access. So I'd really recommend people go in there the other function in that site that I'll just explain and mention, which is really useful in relation to uh, disaster issues, disaster services, not so much drought, but in relation to fire. Um, if you go into the Service New South Wales website and click on their internal search button and put bushfire in, first thing that comes up is bushfire customer care service, which is the link that Megan's put there. There's a thing called the Disaster Assistance Finder. It's a great mechanism to just do a quick uh, questionnaire around your circumstances, whether you're a primary producer, whether you've lost stock or buildings, etc. cetera. Um, quick questionnaire will then open up a whole range of service um, measures or assistance measures that you could potentially be eligible for. It's a really quick reference, so I guess, 
I've written here on my notes, think of a large rabbit warren. It can take you down a lot of holes, but at the end of them, there, there probably is a uh, is something that you might be able to access that would be helpful in your recovery. So uh, a little bit of a process, but it's well worth it and it's a, and it's a pretty easy to use site. So um, I'd highly recommend that. Uh, and I guess to, to summarize everything that I've spoken about today, there is one other uh, document, I guess, um, and, and the handouts are gonna provide that. It's a, um, Go to that next slide. Just that printable guide I'm talking about, which is um, which is a, uh, a DPI document that we've put together over the period of the fire period that pretty much covers everything that's available, at least everything that we know of, in one printable handout, and it gives you a lot of phone numbers, for legal, uh, you know, charities certainly all the things I've mentioned today, all the websites, it's a one quick guide and it's, and it's a really useful thing. So um, that's just about it, except that um, one of the best services that, we, <laughs> that I can recommend, as I said, uh, we, we're generally collating information and steering people in the right direction. In the context of uh, recovery measures, drought or fire or flood, the, the Rural Financial Counselling Service is an incredibly uh, valuable free service for farmers to access and uh, while they're pretty run off their feet at the moment, they have put on uh, many more um, staff in, in recent times in regions to service all those affected, all those trying to uh, access the, the measures that I've mentioned and a whole host of others and I think they're probably the best reference point people want to talk to someone on on the phone, they're not so familiar with uh, searching web pages and things. Get on, uh, get on, and, and find your um, find your local rural financial counsellor. It's uh, it's a it's a very comprehensive and useful service, and and I guess I'm putting them in a bit to say that they can probably help you fill out some of the application forms as well. Although the caveat to that is, is with everything, they'll probably only be able to do it on the phone at the moment because they're also limited. By their um, by COVID nineteen, where they can go and who they, they can see. So really, that's about it that I wanted to cover off, Megan. And I think we've probably gone long enough. Ted, thank you. And I I think we've, we've now got some time for questions. Um, and there's a couple of comments starting to to roll in. But I guess I just wanted to say, you know. You were, I think the rabbit warren analogies really summed the, the situation up. There are a lot of, you know, different, um, you know, pathways that we can take to access what's available as support. I've just currently put up the, um, the back to business one-on-one -on -one farm support for fire affected producers up. Um, that's an MLA program. And at the bottom of that uh, flyer, if you like, that's the, the picture there, are the contact details for the state coordinators. So I'd urge you to, for those who are tuning in who are fire affected to, to have a look at, at, um, at that, um, I guess, uh, source of support. And that can give you very much, you know, one-on-one -on -one specific advice and, and um, consultancy services for your own business. But yeah, I didn't realise myself, you know, and some of you may know, I'm, you know, I run Sheep Connect New South Wales from a farm office in central New South Wales. 
And yeah, you, you don't realise just how vast and convoluted at times some of the assistance can be. So that's why we've really tried today to make sure that some of those key uh, publications and key pages on web pages were available for you to have a, a quick look at. Quite importantly, uh, the, is was Ted's um, advice just to really not self-assess and to make sure that that when you're looking at um, seeking some assistance, that you're not self-assessing and putting it in the too hard basket. So I guess it's a little bit like um, many of us at the moment have got, um, you know, everybody at home, some of us are homeschooling. And um, I can uh, say with a fair bit of um, personal experience here, the hardest part about getting started is to take the first step when it comes to homeschooling and um, recalcitrant uh, students. So you know, once you take the first step, you know, you'll find that there's a lot more information and, and things are a little bit easier. I think the, the key personnel that we need to know, as Ted's indicated, are our rural financial counsellors. Importantly, our rural resilience officers. They're certainly a, a great uh, first touch point for us to, to go forward and, and um, work out where to get our information from. The other um, people that are quite important are um, the rural uh, mental health program, uh, rural adversity mental health program offices as well. So, you know, they're all well connected and they, they're connected within each other as well. It's another important way that we need to be able to, to catch up and, and, and start that process of finding information. Um, I've, only, I've got one question, or oh, it's probably more a comment from Graham, just about the, the, um, the the disaster loans, um, and I guess it's just a point of, um, you know, just a comment saying, um, you know, it's an important comment uh, with his perspective saying that research has shown that debt has the largest impact on farm business risk. And I, I certainly don't think anybody would disagree with that, Graham. It's, um, you know, debt is important. And, you know, that's where our rural financial councillors come into play has been really important. Another. Can I just make a comment, Megan, on that in relation to the back to business, uh, particularly in fire affected regions? No doubt nobody wants to take on more debt, um, but you know sometimes that's that's just inevitable given what people have been through. And uh, the 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 back to business um, opportunity through these consultancy sessions is a really good way to to get some expert advice that would otherwise cost you a fair bit of money. I think they're worth you know, three one-day sessions that it says there, because that could be five or $6,000 worth of consultancy fees. And you know, I don't think people should underestimate the opportunities that might be unearthed by a, a second uh, valued opinion and assessment from someone who's you know, close to a lot of businesses to see whether uh, you know, they can service that debt if they decide to take it on or whether they need to take it on at all. Um, so I'd highly recommend people, if they've been in fire affected areas, to register for that. Um, you know, I think it's a really good initiative. Thanks, Ted. I've got another question for you, and this one's for, for you, Ted, comes from Emily. Um, and Emily asks, I know the Rural Resilience Program generally runs a lot of face-to-face -face programs, but are you planning any of these to be offered in an online format for interested producers? Well, look, we're certainly talking about it. Um, in the last week or so, old fellas like me have become somewhat uh, challenged by the technical uh, 
world out there because we don't normally do that. We prefer to work face to face. But yeah, look, we are looking at um, how we can possibly run things. I guess the limitation on that is that um, sometimes farmers aren't that keen to, to and haven't got great internet access. Um, but look, we don't, we're not ruling it out. We've just got to work out how we best go through that process and, and see how well the systems work. We, we're using them internally and, uh, you know, they've worked okay, but they're not, uh, you know, they're not, they're not seamless processes. So we'll, we'll be having a look. And if someone wants to call me and say they've got four or five or 10 people or however many that want to, want to do something online, we'd certainly look at providing it if we could. Excellent. That's a, that's great. It's I guess at the moment we're all um we're all pretty busy adapting to a, an online world going forward. Emily says thanks, Ted, for for that um that information. And yeah, we're all scrambling, hoping that the um the internet's not going to let us down with all this online activity that we're doing. And um yeah, so we've got you know Zoom meetings and you know webinars and other Zoom meetings in this household at any one time. So yeah, we've, we've got certainly some interesting times ahead um, in terms of, of how we adjust and adapt. And I guess part of the way that, that um, the Back to Business program has adapted is um, yeah, we've gone from face-to-face -face events to online webinars with the idea to uh, provide um, our attendees with the, the same information and probably an expanded repertoire of information going forward. I don't have any more Can questions. So Ted, I'll, I'll give you the opportunity just, to give us our last yeah, comment. Well, just, yeah, just, just, just yeah, in relation to that last question around uh, online stuff, I know it's not everybody's preferred method of, of communication, but um, you know, we talk about social distancing, which in some ways not quite the right word in, in the context of what I've been talking to today, because we need to stay socially connected, maybe physically uh, distanced, but not, but not socially. And I know during the fire, there's a lot of community activity that's set up you know, amazingly quickly to, to get um, you know groups, uh, WhatsApp type groups operating and keeping informed of what's going on. Uh, you know that was in response to the to the emergency that existed. But the longer term haul of, of recovery, I think there's there's plenty of smart people out there who can learn how to connect relatively easily with their neighbours and their, and their you know community of interest people. Um, whether it, it doesn't have to be through organisations like ours or yours or MLA necessarily, I think people can do some stuff if they have uh, have that capacity. You know, I'm sure plenty do because I've seen them operate. And as you say, the school kids are now doing it. It is the is, is the new world for a little while, but certainly don't just use it for um for for, for schooling or or meetings. I think you can just have a bit of fun, and we've seen that on on social media and things where people are, uh, are operating choruses and, and choirs and things online. I, I think the, the opportunities are there if people want to uh, keep connected. Absolutely, Ted. It's funny, we've, uh, we sold some some sheep today at the, um, the local sale yard, some lambs we put in. And um, yeah, we were able to quickly tune in, watch them sold. And um, yeah, so it was all, all videoed live. So yeah, it's a whole new world and a whole new way of doing business. So. I think we might wrap up there and, and I, I guess I just wanted to thank you Ted for your insights today in what's a really complex area for all of us to navigate um, and, and today really honed in on particularly how how complex 
and nuanced some of the pathways are to find access to some of those um, sources of assistance. But it's really important that we do look out and, and seek that assistance. Um, your insight's been really valuable and no doubt helpful to everybody who has joined in today. Um, I wanted to thank everybody who has joined us today. Um, there's certainly been a, a good level of attendance and, and people have stayed online for the entire webinar, which is great. And um, a couple of final reminders. So uh, please answer our evaluation questions and let us know what future topics you'd like to hear. Don't forget to register for next week's webinar and that's really important. Uh, so the link will be coming straight to your email inbox um, an hour after today's webinar. I also wanted to um, let you know that fresh off the press, um, you know, and this has come through as a text message while we've been online today, um, are the Back to Business podcasts. So we've just started to release those. And if you subscribe to that, then that'll automatically come into your podcast little folder on, on your, whichever device you're getting your podcasts from. And the way to, to um, subscribe to that is to go to Sheep Connect New South Wales. They're in their own little series, but they're under at the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast account. So we'd love for you to um, to subscribe to that. And, and again, that the recordings or amended recordings from webinars will, will be put through in that, that series. And again, for our attendees, thanks for your time today. We all know how busy you people are. Um, we appreciate the time that you've taken to, to find, um, find out the information that Ted's presented today. Thanks for tuning in to the Back to Business podcast. You can register for upcoming webinars at sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com forward slash events or just subscribe to this podcast, which will be updated weekly. If you'd like to take the time to rate and review this podcast in iTunes, it'll help more producers like yourself discover this information. Back to Business is a partnership of Meat and Livestock Australia, Sheep Connect New South Wales, Australian Wool Innovation and Integrity Systems Company. The program is supported by the New South Wales DPI, New South Wales Local Land Services and New South Wales Farmers.